The Deviation Podcast. Welcome to the Deviation Podcast. My name is Paige, and today I'm very excited to say I have Hank with me, who's been a Navy SEAL for the past 10 years. If you've been following this podcast for a while, I've been lucky enough to interview a lot of people from all the branches of special operations, except the Navy. So this is this is extra special. Thanks for, thanks for agreeing to this. Thanks for having me. So, um... I know we've technically only only met once, but um, I'd love to just kind of go right in. Would you start from the beginning? Where did everything start? How is it you've become who you are today? Where'd you grow up? Square one. Uh, that's pretty broad, but uh, <laughs> I guess I guess we'll kind of start with kind of like why did I join? I guess why did I join the military? Would be a good yeah, that absolutely works. So. I went to a pretty small high school in New England, and it was a public high school. I actually moved from California to New England when I was in elementary school, so going from kind of a bigger area to a smaller area. Um, I think when I got done with high school, I, was, I wasn't really motivated to go to college. I knew I had to go to college because that's what you do. Uh, my mom was, wouldn't let me just go out and enlist because she really wanted me to go to college, and I kind of... I don't think I had the mental tenacity to uh, excel in normal school. So actually our neighbor up the street or friends of friends was at uh, one of the academies and she said, have you considered one of the academies? I said, uh, I don't think that's for me. Like that's not really what I want to do. Uh, I went to a summer program there before my senior year and I kind of did a week with one of their programs and kind of like a taste of what it would be like. And I think after that I realized this is this is structure. This is good. Um, I have someone. It's kind of like having a coach when you're if you want to compete in something. If you don't have a coach, you have to do it yourself. It takes a lot more. So I, I think I realized that that's probably my best chance for success in, in life or in college would be going to the academy. So I was really fortunate enough to go and I applied and got in. And then I think when I was at the academy and studying, that's when I kind of realized like. Um, I'm not going to say a higher calling, but it's kind of a realization of when to be part of an elite organization, when to do bigger and better things. And um, So that's kind of how I started uh, pursuing my career in the SEALs, and that's kind of how it started. Was school hard for you growing up? I wasn't really motivated. I was, I think, in middle school, I was, I had a really, really good, I had a probably near 4.0 GPA. And I got to high school, and I started playing sports, and I started hanging out with friends more, and I realized, like, that, I mean, I, got, I have a degree in mechanical, <coughs> excuse me, I have a degree in mechanical engineering, so I'm not, a, I'm not a dum-dum, but at the same time, there's a reason I'm not a mechanical engineer right now. It's because it just, it didn't really do it. So at school, high school wasn't tough, but I wasn't really applying myself, and then when I got to the academy and studying engineer and engineering getting an engineering degree at the academy was probably one of the hardest things I've done in my whole life um, 
harder than being harder than going through SEAL training because it's four years of just mental grind. Really? Really. I never would have guessed that. I've read a couple books on on Navy SEALs and like BUDS and we'll I mean we'll get further into that a little later, but that blows my mind that there's there's something out there that's harder than something like BUDS. No, physically harder, no, obviously, because you're yeah. sitting it, but you know, it's if you're not a gifted student and I wasn't a gifted student, it's the amount of it's BUDS is only six months long. And ha- and you know, is a lot most of it is mental, but it's just like you get through the first probably five or six weeks and you go through hell week and then after that you're not on autopilot but at the same time you've, you've peaked you've done the hurt you've done the highest peak and then you're still it's not easy I mean it's obviously incredibly difficult after that but it's not like there's there's the biggest challenge at the end when you're in school you're, you're getting a, a four-year degree from the academy and you're doing mechanical engineering and you're also doing full-time sports I did rugby academy and then you have to do all your other military, you know, your mandatory military events on top of that. Everything heaps up and it's your, whatever free time you have. I think I was getting four, on average, four hours of sleep a night for semesters. Oh my entire, God. Entire semester. So the, the, the peak, the, the mountain of that is at the end. When you're, when you're a senior at the academy, there's no coasting. You're, you're working on your senior projects and that's probably one of the hardest times. So that's why it's I'd rank that higher than going through buds. And then they, because it was through the academy, I'm assuming they and what you talked about was structure. They just implemented. It wasn't just like going to regular school and learning about that. It was it was a different experience. It's going to classes that are mandatory. You have to go to classes, and they choose pretty much all of your curriculum for you. When you're a junior, you can start taking. Elect, you can choose electives that you want, but for the most part, this is what you're going to do, and these are the classes you're going to take, and this is where you're going to be. Your entire life is, is controlled. Just base, pick. There's only nine engineer. There's only nine majors at the at the academy, so it's pick your major, and then you know get on the train. And you're going. So you went from like not a ton of structure. I mean organized sports there's there you learn a lot about like structure and discipline and things like that but you went from like almost like a five to a 12 i went from like a four to a 15 okay (laughs) it was just it was i I failed i failed calculus my freshman year because it was just too much for me to comprehend um actually i had to retake two classes i'd retake calculus and retake dynamics because it was when you're doing 22 credit semesters and then on what? top of all the other crap that they pile on top of you. I mean, every Sunday you're cleaning your room or doing whatever and getting ready and, and standing in formations and doing inspections and shining your shoes and ironing your uniforms. It's just, it's an absolute fire hose. So, like, did you, did you, obviously you were attracted to the level of structure, but was it ever, like, shocking? Was there ever a moment you were in and thinking, like, you know what, this is... I don't know. Did you ever miss the way things were before? No, because I think with my personality, I, I wanted a challenge. And I, I kind of joke because I, 
I tell people, I'm like, I was, I was barely good enough to go to here, but I, I did it. And then I was barely good enough to do this, and I did it. And I was barely good enough. I feel like I, I got in the academy. I was, a, I was actually a, an alternate. I, I didn't, get, didn't get an appointment letter until May of, uh, I think, April or, April or May in 2005. And then June, I was at the academy. So I was not expecting, I was not anticipating to go there, but I was just good enough to make it. And I got in and I said, you know, this is, this isn't like my one shot, but this is kind of a thing that if I do this and I can succeed and I can achieve this goal, it's going to set me up for better things. If I, if I quit this now, or if I just give up and stop trying, that's just going to be, that's the new trajectory. Like it's too hard. Don't do it too hard and it's just you know just just you don't need to you don't need to achieve so much you you should be happy just being complacent how was your mom with it because she wasn't a big fan of you going in the first place right she was a big fan of me going into the academy because she knew it was such a it was such a big deal she was not a fan of me going into the seals for obvious reasons (laughs) okay understood understood um so then so then what so you're there for four years and then you graduated obviously yep. and then what happened next and then i went to the fleet and i was on a boat for um about nine months pretty big boat and i applied to go to boat and they kind of sifted through my package and they brought me down they brought me down and like i applied in august they brought a bunch of us down in october in november or october and kind of put us through the ringer for a little bit, um, kind of like a pre-buds, just see how we'd react. So we started with 12 guys who were very, very, very fit, and they were um, very qualified to do it. And then started on a Monday morning, and by Wednesday afternoon, there's only five of us left. And you look around, and you're like, geez. I mean, it wasn't even that difficult, but you know, my day-to-day job in the fleet was sitting at a desk and making sure that engineering reports were being turned in so it was it was difficult for the layman but not even a not even a fraction of what it, what the real training would be like so what had you want to like go into that training what had you want to become a seal i kind of looked at the i think by sophomore year at the academy i, I looked at around looked at the, the available jobs that were that were out there and i said God, I don't want to do any of these. Like, they're all leadership jobs, but it's the guys. You're not actually doing the thing. You're supervising. You're you're, man, you're like you're mitigating the risk, and you're making sure that you know things are being done. But so I didn't want to do that. I want to actually physically get in there and do it. And looking at the jobs, I was trying to be. A, I really wanted to be a rescue swimmer until I realized that you can't be a rescue swimmer as an officer. So at one point, I think my. At the end of my sophomore year is the last time you can leave without owing them any, uh, like you can voluntarily quit and not owe anything for the two years of training. And that's when I was considering, I said, this whole officer thing, or this whole, you know, the officer career is not for me. Like, I want to go out and do this stuff. So I, I almost left the academy and just enlisted in the Navy to go to Bud's. That's what I wanted to do. And I had a couple people talk me out of it. They said, you got through two years of the academy already. You know, you're on you're on track to be you're you're going to graduate. You're going to be successful, and then you can apply to buds after that if you want. So they they're the ones who talk me into staying. 
So being in the academy and being in the Navy, are, those are those are separate things. So as in the academy, you're a cadet. Oh, okay, understood. And you're, you are active duty, but a cadet is its own little subcategory. Got so it. So you can, I could voluntarily, voluntarily resign before my junior year. Once you start your junior year, if you go to resign, they say, uh-uh, you owe us a year. You're going to go to the fleet. We're going to get your, we're pound, our pound of flesh out of you. Understood. And then senior year, I think it's three years you owe or something like that. So then... In Buds, will you, I mean, I've like, so what was it? It was Fearless by Eric Blem, I think. Um, have you heard of that book at all? <laughs> I think when people kind of meet me and they don't really know me and they're like, oh my God, you're sealed. Have you read this XYZ book? So <laughs> I go, I said, I haven't even read American Sniper. I haven't read, I think before I went to training, I, I read every single book I can get my hands on. I was at the academy. I was, I was reading. I probably read fifteen sealed books, and then I started training. I, I kind of still was reading a little bit in buds and SQT, but as soon as I got to the team, I'd read a couple books, and I, I, this is a bunch of BS. It's like there's a lot of truth to it, but there's a lot of just great storytelling. Then I'm like, okay, I, I just stopped reading all this, all the sealed books. <laughs> God, no, that makes sense. That's why, like, when I said before we started, I always try to look for people who are really humble because I want to know the real story behind things, not what somebody thinks will, like, get views or whatever. I have a ton of them on my shelf. Tons of these seal books that people fearless and, you know, Easy Day and all these other ones. And I haven't read them because I open them up and I, I get to the first chapter. McRaven just came out with a great book, Sea Stories, but I read, like, the Someone gave it to me. I read the first 50 pages and I'm like, no, it's, I, I don't need to read this. It's not going to make me a better SEAL operator or a better person. It's designed for either, you know, storytelling of buds and SEAL stories and all this other stuff, or it's designed to kind of maybe like like a self-help book mm. for, execu- for executives of like, oh, I, I did it and you can do it too if you just follow these five seal principles and it's like dude i live this life like i don't need to it's not really helping me become better so i go there's better things i can do with my time than read seal books that's fair that's totally fair um the reason i bring it up is because it i i don't know how true it all is um because i have no like reference point in regards to it but they, he talks a lot about buds, and I just had this fascination with it. It's, I mean, the level of physical strain you go through, or at least my understanding of what you go through, blows my mind. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about buds and how you got through it and what it was like? Sure. Um, I think everything that people think it is that haven't gone through buds is, uh, is inaccurate. Um, there's, there's just something about getting up every single day and just getting the crap kicked out of you and just going through the actual process just changes you as a person and it's it's completely I'm not saying it's easier than you think it is I'm not saying it's harder it's just each person reacts to it responds to it differently but it was it's hands down the, the hardest military training in, in the, the free world and no one's people can say oh you know Marsa or Air Force guys are better, or, or you know, 
you know, Green Berets are better because of this and this and that and the other. Like, but no one ever that I've ever met is going to argue and say that, oh, our training is harder than Bud's. Like, what you go through, what, you, what you're subjected to physically, mentally, emotionally, every single day for six months is just, it's kind of hard to explain unless you're actually in there. But, um, yeah, it's just an awful, awful time. But at the same time, you know, when you do it and you succeed and you're with your friends and, you know, you pass the evolutions or you pass the tests and you you qualify and you can continue on, that's, it's like the greatest feeling of accomplishment. That's like, I'm in there, I'm in here right now. You get done with Hell Week. You're in Hell Week and you're just, you sleep five hours a week, not a night, but you sleep five hours. You're up Sunday morning getting prepped and then you take a nap on Wednesday for two hours and a nap on Thursday for three hours and that's it. The rest of the time you're running or wet and cold sitting in the ocean or doing some other task, some mind games that they, like memorization games and puzzles, like not puzzles, like puzzles, but you know, like problem solving that they give you over the, over the course of five days. And, you know, that's, it's the worst thing you can ever do. But when you get done with that, it kind of sets in and you go, wow, I mean, I can do that. I can, I can do anything I, I want to put my mind to. So the five hours of sleep, is that just during hell week or is that like? That's just during hell week. Okay. Okay. So you yeah, get up, that makes sense. You get up on Sunday morning and you, you know, get everything ready. Then you go to base and then Sunday evening when you try to take a nap, but you're so damn nervous. You can't, you're not going to take a nap. You're just, you're wired. And then Sunday evening, the, the, the fun and games start. And it's just, I mean, if you read the, I'm sure if you read the books, they'll, they'll kind of cover the, exactly what they do but I mean you run you run uh, a half marathon the first night with a boat on your head so you get underneath the rubber boat with it's you and five other guys or six guys underneath the boat and night one you run 12 miles on base you just run around circles and I mean you're stopping to take rests and water breaks but you know it's hard enough for me to run 12 miles without a boat on my head I mean, you, <laughs> You put a couple hundred pound boat on some guy's head and you just run around circles and you're like, what the hell are we doing? Did you ever think about, did you ever think about quitting during buds? I mean, there's, there's kind of a saying in my community of like, because guys ask me, like, I've, I've tried to mentor a lot of guys that, that want to go through buds. and It's kind of like once you, once you have a little bit of, a little shred of doubt and you think about quitting, then that becomes quitting because that it just kind of, it cements somewhere in the back of your head. It's just like, Oh, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't be here. I'm too tired. And that little voice, that little negative talk voice in, in the back of your head gets louder. The, the wetter you get, the tired, the more tired, the colder you get, the hungrier you get. You're, and then that voice gets louder and then the guys end up quitting. It's kind of, you might, it might have a flat. It's it, actually in hell week I never had it, but like, at some point in first phase before Hell Week, you say, man, this friggin' sucks. I don't really want to be doing this right now. But at the same time, you just you just do it and you think about it later and you're like, okay, that was, well, that was obviously a moment of weakness. And, you know, the higher, you know, the higher self-realization is like, we're doing the right thing. It sucks, but we're doing the right thing. We need to keep doing it. We can't stop now because we've come so far. So instead of focusing on 
how hard it is? Do you just focus on kind of putting one foot in front of the other? Yeah, is it, I've coached people. Um, I've done a couple of keynote talks, and I've kind of done free coaching for people, like life coaching. It's like, hey, just you got to be present. You got, you got to be present in the situation. That's what they teach you in buds. You know, Hell Week is an incredibly awful, horrendous uh, evolution that you have to go through. That's five days long. If you sit there and you're already tired and cold, and it's Sunday night, and you think about that, you have to do this for the next five days. It's you're you're not gonna. It's not gonna paint a good mental picture for you. Right. But if you're doing something, say you're doing log PT, just the telephone poles. You know, you get six guys at the telephone pole, and you're doing that. It's that's like one of the worst activities you can do. But if you think about it and say, okay, well, it's got to be like two in the morning right now. Um, log PT is only going to last for like two or three hours, and then they have to, they have to like let us stop, and they have to let us eat breakfast, and they have to let us get water, and they, we we have to do all these other other evolutions. They can't do log PT for a straight week. If you just kind of break it down and just stay very present in the situation, you're going through a bad time, and you, if you think about how bad it's going to be, and then if you have this negative kind of self talk of this is going to last forever. You know, you're not going to really deal with that very well. But if you think like, hey, this is just, this is only happening at, at this point in my life. Um, for this time, it's going to change. It's going to get better. Um, being present in the situation and just making little little goals like, okay, I need to make it to next water break. I need to make, I'm just going to make it to breakfast and then we'll reassess. Mm-hmm. That's, that's kind of how you, that's how you eat the elephant one bite at a time. You don't look at how big it's going to be. You look at. You look at how you're going to get to the end and and milestones or goals you have along the way to accomplish that. That's smart. That's really smart. Um, do you feel like that's, you had mentioned earlier that going through BUDS changed you. Do you feel like that's the biggest way it changed you or what was the most noticeable effect that training had? I mean, going through BUDS, people, I think people who don't really understand what the pipeline is, if you, if you have a guy and you know, 22-year-old guy, and you put him through BUDS, he gets through BUDS, and people assume, oh, my God, he's a qualified Navy SEAL. He can, he's, he's, uh, you know, trained in all these other crazy stuff. and He's a weapons expert, and he's all this other stuff. All BUDS does is it's six months of a selection process. They don't really teach you anything that's, you know, not taught in pretty much Army, basic Army infantry school, with the exception of maybe uh, closed-circuit diving and, and demolitions, but... What buds is is it's just it's a it's a crucible to say if you get through this we'll teach you what you, like we'll teach you advanced skills and what you need to do to become a seal. So I think buds changed me because buds taught me like buds taught me how to get instructed on something and then you have to master that almost right away. Whether that's um, you know diving closed circuit rigs, which is pure oxygen, or you know. Weapons handling, weapon shooting, um, demolitions, all this other stuff. It kind of changed me because it forced me to, I guess, forced me to adapt faster than most people. That makes sense. Because you have, like, seconds to make decisions when you're in combat or you're in one of those situations, right? Yeah, there's that. But um, it's not only just decision-making comes, I think, more is when you're a SEAL. That's that's when really fast decisions have to be made. They have to be made accurately. Um, Buds teaches you 
kind of the art of picking up a skill, being instructed on something by a good instructor, not just someone who's just, you know, your average person. But for example, um, when I was on the East Coast, we did a driving school and we have some of the best drivers in the world being our instructors and they only give three days. They say, this is how you're going to, this is, they use Crown Victoria's cop cars. Say, this is how you do this skill. This is how you do that. And they teach you, they give you like three days of instruction and you're supposed to be as good as someone who's doing this for months. And you, you pick up on skills so quick and you, and you retain it and you don't really make mistakes. That's kind of what Buzz teaches you how to do. God, that's amazing. It's just like that's high. That's like a high pressure situation where you need to retain a ton of information accurately. That's just that's. Yep. God, no, that's amazing. Um, so does that kind of tie into you learning how to be coached? So I met going to co- tangent, not a tangent, but backing up. I met Dan John really good friend of mine, which is how we met. And he's kind of been my quasi-life and strength, he's been my strength coach or quasi-life coach. And I've kind of, I learned a ton from him and his books on how to be coached. But um, I, this is one of the questions we were talking about earlier. I think one of the things about being coached or being coachable is uh, kind of having humility. There's a lot, I mean, I think some of the best SEALs I work with are very, very humble guys who are always willing to learn from those around them or willing to learn new instruction that they're being given. They, they don't think that they got it all. And I think having humility, no, I think there's having, there's, that's one facet of it. There's having humility, but there's also having self-confidence and understanding that you are able to do what they're coaching you to do. Um, if I was being coached on how, to, or not me, I guess, but if someone was being coached how to uh, climb a glacier with you know, with crampons and ice and ice axes, if they've never climbed before, they're not going to have the self confidence, or the kind of the, the they're not going to have the brain to be coached. So you need to have the humility. You need to definitely have the the self confidence, and then you need to have the aptitude to do it. So I think that's kind of that falls into the, like the perfect scenario in my eyes. Just kind of thinking off the cuff of, of what you need to to be good at, or to be coached. Have you ever struggled with being coached? No, not really, because, um, I mean, there's, there's so much that I don't really, so much I don't really know. I mean, well, I think Socrates says, like, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. So it's, it's kind of like, I can be coached because I'm willing to learn from anyone who's done something better than I have. I've done a lot of really cool things, but I'm not the best in the world at anything. Um, it's, it's, if I know someone, I'll struggle being coached if someone's trying to coach me and I don't think that they possess the skills or I don't think that they are teaching me the right way, mm-hmm. then I'll say, I don't want to be coached by you because I don't, I don't, I don't believe in your coaching ability. But for someone who's a world-class athlete or world-class driver or world-class, you know, you name it, shooting instructor that we have, I'm going to latch on to whatever you have to say because... You know, even if it's wrong at the end of the day, I'll still give, I'll give it a whirl. Mm-hmm. I'll give, I'll give it a shot. And okay, so I wasted two days doing something that I don't, that I don't think is good. At least I tried it. I mean, I think that's half the battle is everyone like diets or 
workout programs. Everyone says, I'm going to do this, and they do it maybe for three or four days, and then they say, oh, this, this isn't good. I'm going to do something better. They don't give, they don't give, really give it a shot. Absolutely. Um, would you take notes after you would do like a class like that or be coached by someone like Dan or things like that to retain it? I should. Uh, most of the time I realize that I retain information. So visually, like we're doing is mm -hmm. great. So visual and audio. But then if I add note-taking on top of that, even if it's just a piece of scrap paper and I'm writing down points as someone's talking about it, I can reread those quick, and even if I scrap the paper at the end of the day, the act of listening, the act of, uh, of seeing something be taught, and then if you add on top t like the act of writing it down and taking notes, even if you don't reread the notes, I feel it's better for retention. No, that makes sense. That's something like I personally struggle with is, you know, if I'm, if I'm learning something, I'm so... I so want to make sure I remember it and so want to make sure that I'm able to, you know, bring it into my daily life that I can put a little too much pressure on that and then I end up not remembering all of it. So I have to make an adjustment. Yeah, but I do. Even at work, if I sit in a meeting and I know it's not going to be like a super important meeting. I mean, it'll be important, but I'll take a piece of computer paper, fold it in half so it's like a book. And I sit there and I just take notes on everything we're talking about. And it kind of helps formulate my ideas. And I might go back and write an email, but then I use shred the piece. If it's classified, I shred the piece of paper and go about my day. And it's, it's super easy. You don't need to carry around a notebook or mm -hmm. crazy stuff. Just take a, a random scrap piece of paper and just jot down on it and see how that, see how that works. No, I like that. Thank you. The whole, uh, what's that saying? Keep it simple, stupid? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Um, let's see. So actually going a little further into like mindset, what would you say is the mindset of a SEAL? You sent me that question earlier and I'm, it's kind of, let me, let me see what, I, what notes I took about it. The notes I, I wrote down on that question are hard to explain. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it it's really hard to, it is hard to explain. Um, People who meet me and people who meet my friends, um, if you're not used to dealing with special forces, you're not used to dealing with SEALs, they kind of look at us and they go, your brains are just wired differently. Like there's something about you guys. We, Like Dan John trains a lot of SEALs. And he's a great guy, but he goes, there's something about you guys that you can't put your finger on, but it's just, it's weird. It's odd. Um, you know, if you read the SEAL ethos, Part of the thing is like we thrive adversity. Um, we like being put in challenging situations, and we like coming out on top. We like getting our way. We like influencing others to get outcomes. So it all comes down to like the mission. So we go down, we go overseas, and we go on uh, on a deployment. There's missions we run. Say, okay, the, this is the mission. This is what we want to do, and this is underneath the mission. We'll write the end state of what we want to accomplish, and that kind of carries over to everyday life. Like, the, what's the mission right now? Well, the mission is to, you know, save this much money because we need we want to buy a house and move into a house. How are we going to accomplish this? And it's kind of a very structured way of thinking, and I, I think a lot of this is also because I have a degree in engineering. It, it's kind of like a take your, your problem-solving process and lay it on life. 
and you just, how do we how do we get from A to B the easiest and most efficient way we can and enjoying that process that's kind of that's kind of the mindset of the seal like whether it's saving money whether it's it's reaching a, a body composition goal or um, <laughs> or if it's a single guy is like okay that's the hottest girl in the bar I'm going to take her home or at least I'm going to number how do we do that and it's 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 not arrogance but it's confidence mm -hmm. and it and it's it's just having that confidence and having like that desire drive to accomplish something that i think it's just the mental mental tenacity that's it's what's the mindset of a seal that i haven't even begun I, I can't answer that question but that's kind of an those are kind of like my initial thoughts and like what, what the SEAL mindset is. No, it's a good answer. It's like, you know, so many people talk about, you know, it's not just about the end result. It's finding a way to really enjoy the journey. And that's part of what you're describing is like have a structured way to get to the end result, but also be present for the journey and enjoy it. I mean, I think some people who don't know or haven't really spent time with SEALs or guys like that, they think of us as like some kind of warrior monk. Or like the Jocko, like Jocko, great big guy, but like, oh, I wake up at four in the morning and I don't drink alcohol and I PT for six hours a day and then I go do this and then I eat, you know. It's like, dude, most of us are, we're just normal guys who are live highly stressful lives, drink a lot of alcohol, have good times with our friends, make a lot of mistakes, spend too much money, um, piss people off. You know, it's it's kind of like we're, we're, not, we're not this... This, this, these monks that you think of who are just like elite warriors we're elite warriors but we're normal people at the same time well yeah you're human it's not even just because humans monks are humans yeah you know, that's Bo fair. Buddhist, Buddhist monks are humans we're we're just kind of like if you mix a professional athlete sports athlete with a rock star and then um, something else and then something else it's like we just Everything we do is hard. We party hard. We work hard. We sleep hard. We, we you know, we train hard. We, 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 everything is just like very intense. That's kind of more of going back to the mindset part. Mm -hmm. Everything a seal does tends to be very like, very, very, very A type and intense. Like, just really into they get really into things. So along those lines, um, and then I want to get back into like your, your story. Um, what would you say it takes to become a SEAL? You know, BUDS itself, uh, people say it's, well, they say, they told us going through it's 90% mental and 10% physical. And when you're a student, you go, yeah, right. Like, I know what we have to do. That's, I think your ratios are a little off, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and then you kind of get through it. And some part, it's like, like maybe day two or three of hell week your body just falls apart you've been you haven't slept for three days um you haven't rested you haven't sat down you've been cold and like at some point that's when the guys that separates the guys who stay from the guys who leave it's it's kind of your your brain clicks over and then your your body your, your body is uh like your mind is is primary and your body is secondary, and your, your, your brain tells your body what to do, and your, your body stops fighting back, I guess. So, um, going through, what does it take to be a SEAL? What does it take to go through BUDS? That was the question. 
Either. It was, what does it take to be a SEAL, but I'm good with either answer. Going through butt. If you can get through butts, you could probably be a SEAL. Um, So it's 90% metal. So um, you don't have to be a superstar athlete. You don't have to be Olympian. You don't have to be uh, gifted at what you do. You just have to really want to do it. Like, I think any guy who goes through bloods, they'll say, I would rather die than quit. And people kind of laugh, like, oh, yeah, I'd rather die than, oh, my God, I'd rather die than go to this party tonight because, you know, my ex-girlfriends, they're, you know, it's like physically, literally would rather die and be carried away in a box than quit training because you want something so bad. Um, it's the hardest training in the world if if you don't want it as, if you don't want it more than anything else in life, then it's probably not going to happen. You're probably not going to be a seal. But if it's a select the lucky few who don't get any serious injuries and who, who want it more than anything, that's kind of what it takes to be an elite operator. Did you get any serious injuries while you were going through buds? Um, I had some. I had a broken rib in third phase that I hit because I didn't want uh, I didn't want to get rolled to the next class. I had a lot of shoulder issues just from doing tens of thousands of push-ups and not stretching it out and not uh, you know not doing all these as Dan would say doing all these pushing motions and not doing any pulling. So your, your body's totally imbalanced. Um, I had fairly serious injuries, but they weren't serious enough for me to not perform my tasks. Uh, you know, and, and get through it. It wasn't like I had, I know a lot of guys who have stress fractures in their, in their shins and their feet from hell week. They have, um, <laughs> I mean, everything from that to one of our buddies got bit by a, a brown recluse in the, in the birthing. Oh his my arm, God. His arm swelled up to like three times its size and he had to go to the hospital. He had to, he had to get out of training for, uh, I think four or five weeks to, to treat the injury. I did luckily enough, and luckily enough, I did not have anything that was that serious that I, I couldn't just push through. Wow, broken ribs are no big deal. So yeah, I get it. Well, it was it was the it was the, the L seven, so it's one of the lower ones. Okay. So it just hurts when you breathe deep or put pressure on it. But besides that, it's fine. Okay, the stress fa- fractures in the feet and the shins that. I went for, and this is this is so small in comparison to what you're talking about. I went for a run a couple weeks ago, and I royally screwed up my feet, like to the point that I, this last week has been the first time I've actually been able to walk like a, you know, like a 20-something year old instead of like I can't actually move. So I can't imagine going through Hell Week and doing what you guys were doing with an actual fracture. Yeah. That, but you want it. You want it more than anything. You want it more than anything in the whole world, which is why you you run with broken, like technically broken legs, and you just do it because. Now, granted, you don't start with broken legs because you won't make it. Right. But you know, if it's day three of day of if it's day three of five, and you have you know stress fractures in your shins and your ankles, you're not going to stop because you can still hobble along. I mean, no one's running. No one's running six-minute miles at the end of Hell Week. You're, yeah. you're, you're barely moving. You're, you look like zombies, and you're just. But you're moving. Yeah. That comes down to it's, it's day five, and you're jogging along <laughs> <laughs> at a pace that maybe like a sixty-year-old marathoner would, would go. But but you're still you're, moving. You're doing it, and that's all. That's really all that matters is not quitting. 
Was there any moment in, in Hell Week or in Buds altogether that just kind of sticks out for you as a, when you're going through something really tough now, you just think, you know what, I got through that moment, I can, I'm fine. I don't really think about, I don't, I don't think we think about moments of like, oh, remember doing that? Like, it's, the, it's just more of kind of the feeling you get. Of you're, you're overwhelmed, but you just do it. And that kind of, that's kind of how it rewires your brain. Like, I can deal with really stressful situations at work or stressful situations at home or, you know, socially. And it's just like, we're just going to do it. It's not really a big deal. It's, it's not a life or death situation here. Um, what's the big deal? Right. I like that. So then after Buds, what, what happened next? After Buds, as an officer, you go through... Um, junior officer training course, which is six weeks of kind of learning leadership principles and learning more about the actual SEAL teams and, you know, the special operations community. And then you do SQT, so SEAL qualification training. But it teaches you the basics of weapons and how not to shoot your shoot yourself or shoot your friend. Um, SQT is teaching you, they call it the finishing school. So you learn advanced cold weather tactics, you learn advanced diving skills and combat diving, you learn how to free fall safely out of a plane with full with oxygen and full equipment on. You learn land warfare, you learn close quarter combat, you learn it's kind of all the skills that we need to, to utilize, well most of them we need to utilize, it's, it's kind of broken down into an actual training block. Think of it as college for being a SEAL. Okay. It's, you're getting your your associate's degree and how to in, in weapon in in warfare, <laughs> I guess. And then is it after that that you get you get your trident? Yep. So after SQ, okay. SQT is I think like six to eight months, some, somewhere around there, depending on the curriculum. And that's when you get so you go through buds. So if you're enlisted, boot camp, buds, SQT, two year process plus, and then that's when you get your trident. And then during all of that, are you, so you're, so you're not technically a SEAL until after you get your trident, and then are you treated like a SEAL, or do the senior SEALs kind of give you some flack until you've really, you're assigned to a team? You're kind of put on probation um, for your first tour. So as a new guy, it's a two-year cycle. Um, you're a SEAL, but it's kind of like someone who, who shows up to the NFL. It's like, oh, I was this great quarterback in college and you know I don't watch football I don't watch sports at all but you know you're this great quarterback in college no one cares because this is the NFL welcome to the big leagues okay. and those are the those are the guys who come in and they think they've got it and even in the NFL like I got this I'm the man they get eaten alive the first couple months because you're not in, you're not in college anymore mm-hmm. you're, you're in the big leagues so the guys who are the most successful uh, junior seals like the ones underneath me are the guys who come in, you know, mouth shut, eyes open, learning everything you can. Because SQT is a good, I mean, it's the same thing going to college. You, you, you get out of college, you have your degree, piece of paper, and you say, it's cool. Like, I'm qualified to do it, but you don't know how to, really, it's, you don't know how to do it. You learn that when you get to the SEAL teams. So SQT is a good, a good baseline training to make sure that you'll succeed when you get to the SEAL teams, but then you ramp it up another notch. And, and everything you do, everything you did in SQT is twice as hard because you're doing it with guys who've done it for 6, 8, 10, 12 years. 
and these guys are good, and you need to get on their level. So that's kind of the, you're a SEAL, but you're not really, I, don't, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't say someone is like a real legitimate SEAL until they get through their first uh, workup. Did you ever just have to like take a step back and just think, oh my God, like I can't, I can't believe I've gotten through all of this to this point and now I get to train with these guys? Um, not really. I, the, the, my first, the first platoon I was with, there was a bunch of guys I didn't really, I didn't really like them. Um, unfortunately, they weren't really a good group. It, it was just kind of a weird. It was an odd situation, and I got through that. And, and I think as a as a junior guy, I was like, oh, I can't believe this is it. At, at some point, I'm like, kind of had lost faith a little bit because the instructors I had were combat veterans who had silver stars, they had navy crosses, they had like the higher. I mean, just just shy of medal of honor. And those are the people you think you're going to be working with in the teams. And reality is, you kind of have a mix of everyone. It's still a it's still an organization. And people think that everyone is like the top of the top of the top, and they they can be, but there's a lot of guys who who get through who are they're just like they're they're good, but when you're when you become it's kind of hard because someone's like yeah that guy that guy's he's no good it's like well he's a seal what are you talking about I'm like well when you work with the elite of the elite you know yeah this guy's a seal so he's probably better than ninety nine percent of the guys in the navy. But this is the standard we have, and the standard is way, way up here. And if you're not at that way, way, way up standard, in our eyes, in our community, it's just like you're not doing a good job. Okay, that's understandable. Yeah, I guess I always thought of it in that way, where it was just like, oh, you're a SEAL, so like, <laughs> and I guess this is a little bit, um, oh, what's the word? I guess silly, but it's just like I thought, okay, you're a SEAL. That means you're automatically a great person. That means you're automatically like this elite person in, in the armed forces, and that's not the case because that's silly. <laughs> it most of I think most of them are, but I mean I hate to talk about the the latest you know news articles you read, and it's kind of plaguing my community right now. But you have guys that are on trial for murder. You have guys who are in trial for murdering uh, fellow Green Berets. You have guys who are doing cocaine and other illicit drugs. You have got stealing money. You had guys years ago who were trying to sell stolen weapons that they had to undercover FBI agents thinking they were Mexican cartel. And, you know, the bad news makes the best news, I guess. It's not like, oh, look how great these guys have been doing for the past 10 years. Of course. But, unfortunately, if you look at recent articles, you go, I thought all SEALs were great guys. They're like, most of them are. I'd say the majority of people I work with are just fantastic people. But guys slip through, and they end up getting in the SEAL teams, and then they screw it up for the rest of us and give it and kind of give us a black eye, which is which is unfortunate. But not everyone is a great guy in the SEAL teams. Yeah.